So do you think that Jesus will get uh, content, satisfied, it's good enough as far as the number of people that are saved before he comes? If he comes in two years, let's say, and between now and then two years, he thinks, you know, we've got enough. Think that'll happen? I don't think so. He's not willing that any perish, but that all come to repentance. He always wants more. He always wants more people in his family. And so I am the same way. I want more, more people to trust Christ, more people to become fully devoted followers of him. And I recognize that that's what my calling is. My responsibility before God as a pastor is to do whatever I can to see that more People trust Christ, are born again, become fully devoted, functioning parts of the body of Christ. And so the question is, if I had a race car, how could I make it go faster? There's probably somebody's car that goes faster than mine. What do they do to make theirs go faster? If I was a fisherman, I'd want to catch more fish. If Ted Pratt catches more fish than me, there must be a reason. I want to catch more fish than him. Uh, so I just want more. Now, Paul wanted that. If you read the letters of Paul, Philippians is one of his letters. And so one of the things that he understood that there's reasons why churches reach people, make disciples, and the reason has to do with people that are in the church. And so he identified people as being, uh, what I'll use the term, uh, champions. Uh, if you were on a football uh, team, professional NFL team, the owners ranked the players from top to bottom, determining how much they're going to pay them and whether it's worth keeping them or not. They rank them on the basis of do they contribute to the team winning or not. And so it's, it's kind of a, a difficult question to ask. I mean, let's see. I got eight kids. One of them is more like me than all the others, so that's probably the best of the eight, right? In a church family, there are people that contribute to the health of the church, the growth of the church, the function of the church, and then there are those who don't. Paul was fairly quick to identify who those were. And so there's two tonight, and he writes extensively about them. There's a full, long section. So it's obviously fairly important to him. So I thought I might go over those tonight, and then I'll just tell you what uh, he says in this passage about champions, and then I'll make, let you make the application to that. Uh, Philippians 2, 19 through 30, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy. Timothy, this is the first dude he talks about here, the first champion so that I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit, kindred spirit, who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. So Paul says, like, he's the number one dude, as far as I'm concerned, and what he does for me. I have no one else. He's the best. But they all seek after their own interest, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth. Of his proven worth. Um, he demonstrated that he was worthwhile. He was valuable. 
that he served me with the, in the furtherance of the gospel, in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. This is the second guy he's going to talk about here. Epaphroditus was a member of the church of Philippi, and he's the one who brought to uh, Paul. Remember, he's in jail, in prison, in Rome. And, uh, and so the church sends a letter and money to Paul th- through Epaphroditus, and he writes a letter, and he's going to send it back to them with Epaphroditus. I thought it necessary to send to you, to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who was also your messenger, the one you sent to me, and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in in the Lord with great joy, and hold men like him, like him, Hold men like him in high regard. These guys are worth a lot. They're very, very significant. They're key players. Hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ. He came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what is deficient in your service to me. So I went through that, read it numerous times, and then have made a little list. Um, We can call it the dozen characteristics of... uh, a Wheaties person. Isn't Wheaties the breakfast of champions? Number one, a champion for Jesus gets along well with other people and they pursue genuine, genuine friendships with others, not just being an acquaintance. They pursue genuine friendships. Now this is uh, in the church of Philippi. So we're going to make application to the Church of Jefferson uh, Baptist Church, JBC. And so if I were to, as a coach, if God were to say to me, I'd like you to pay people in the church for their worth and value. So, I've got to rank you and pay you accordingly. What would I use as a basis? The number of times you take me fishing might count. Uh, So, Paul basically says, hold men like him in high regard. Uh, And so here's characteristic that they have. Uh, In our church, those who are worth a lot, they're contributing to the health of the body, are those who pursue genuine friendships. So what's the motive? What would the motive be for doing that? In other words, if I'm going to pursue a friendship with somebody beyond what I would necessarily be comfortable with, in other words, I'm sort of an introvert, I'm really happy with two friends, if I didn't have any more than two friends, I'd be cool with that. But I'm going to pursue friendships outside of what I'm comfortable with, uh, and I'm going to try to be friends with everybody in the church. I'm going to pursue genuine friendship, genuine relationship. Why? What would be the motive for doing that? For one reason is I need you. That's the nature of the body of Christ. God gives me grace through people, and the more relationships I have with people, the more grace I get, the more input I can have from God in my life. The second flip side is you need me. And my friendship with you is going to contribute to your growth and your relationship with Christ. That's the nature of the body of Christ. 
And the third reason is our church becomes healthy when people are connected. And so the, uh, the picture of most churches is if we were to take, uh, uh, if we were to take John Abel and whack him up with an axe and about 20 pieces and put him in a wheelbarrow. And if you look in the wheelbarrow and say, oh, there's John. Uh, would that really be John? No, that'd just be a mess. So that, that you see in the wheelbarrow, that's the average church. Sunday, they all get together in the wheelbarrow together. Uh, they, they, they have a Bible study together. They do things together, sportsman show together, all in the wheelbarrow together. But there's something that's not right. That is, they're not connected. And because they're not connected, there's no real supernatural life flowing from God because God works in churches through connectedness. That's why the church is repeatedly called in the New Testament over and over and over again the body of Christ. It's relationships between people that makes the body healthy and grow, and that's what allows God to work in it so that it expands and reaches people. Um, I need you, you need me, and our church is healthy and strong when people are connected to each other and we're friends. I read books, Relational Intelligence. It's How to Be a Friend. Uh, Dale Carnegie is still one of the best books written on that topic, How to Win Friends, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's just a skill on how to talk, how to relate, how to connect with people. And so the principle is simple. When people are connected, when there's relationships that are healthy, the body is healthy. And when they aren't, when there's just, hi, good to see you, how are you doing? A uh, superficial relationship that has to do with just simply greeting, but not much intimacy, not pursuing any kind of relationship with people, then the church is unhealthy and God won't work in it. John fifteen fifteen. no longer do I call you slaves. Jesus speaking to his disciples, the slave does not know what his master is doing. I've called you friends. I've called you friends. And so that's Jesus' word to his children. For all things that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. Second characteristic of a champion is a champion for Jesus is high on the character trait of deference. Deference, uh, that basic definition means that I work hard at not offending you. I work hard at not offending you, um, poking you, um, causing you to get irritated. Most of us learn, if we know people at all, we pretty well can figure out what we can do and what we can say to make people irritated. In fact, uh, sometimes people will do that uh, on purpose. Just purposely irritate, poke people. Deference is limiting my freedom so as not to offend you. First uh, Corinthians ten thirty one. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the Church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, I please all men in all things. Now there's a point at which we don't please men, be, uh, and the, we want to please God, but that's just seeking worth and value for myself, but we always are pleasing people, uh, thinking about what I can say, what I can do uh, to enhance relationship rather than damage it. And so deference is a key character trait. Romans 14, big problem they had in the church at Rome is that there was meat sold on the street corner that was really cheap. And so anybody that wanted to manage their money well would buy it. It was meat offered to idols. And so they would 
do a burnt offering, but they would just bar barbecue the lamb, as it were, as a sacrifice. And then there it is, a barbecued lamb. We've got to do something with it. Let's sell it. And so they would sell it because it was already cooked and it was a good deal. It was a good bargain. But there were some Christians who were pretty sure that if you eat meat sacrificed to idols, that it was going to ruin you. Uh, God wasn't pleased with you. And so Paul says, eh, there's no God but one God. It's just meat. And they're pagans and we don't care. But there's some believers that are going to get highly offended if I eat meat sacrificed to idols. So he says, for if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God. Acceptable to God. That means that you're one of his favorites. Uh, and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace. We pursue the things which make for peace. And the building up of one another. We pursue the things in our relationship that make for peace. That enhance relationship and build each other up. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, speaking of meat offered to idols, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. And so uh, sometimes that's a real pain. People can be easily offended. And so if I have to be careful what I say, what I do, so as not to offend people, it's like, oh, Grow up. But those who are mature and strong will limit their freedom and they will be careful what they do and how they talk and how they treat people so as not to offend other individuals. Those are champions, the ones that live like that. Number three, the most influential people in a local church are those who work hard at honoring others. One of my favorite people years ago was a professor at Multnomah called Roger Condon. I thoroughly enjoyed him, uh, and I valued his teaching. He was a professor, and Patty and I would drive in and listen to a night class. This was back when I was farming uh, from uh, Trout Lake on Wednesday night, and he would teach a Romans class. And then afterwards, we would stick around, and he would give us counsel on how to raise kids. They had 12 of the best kids I'd ever in my life met. And so I just, he just was, I, he could walk on water, as far as I was concerned. Smartest guy I ever knew. And uh, after that class was over, I never saw him again. But I went to Chicago years later to teach a seminar for a bunch of pastors in Chicago. And I told that story about Roger and his kids. Uh, and I did it because I was trying to encourage pastors to make sure they had an attitude of humility of seeking counsel from other pastors. And I, I said he was the best parent I knew, so I was going to seek counsel from him. And so I told the story. And in a break, a guy came up, and he says, I was one of those 12 kids. I said, really? You're Roger Condon's son? He said, yep. I pastor here in Chicago. I said, would you like to go out for lunch? Wow, I'd love to talk with you, and I'd like to hear some more stories about your dad and how things were at home. And, and I was there for uh, three or four days. I, you went with me on that trip. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, so I honored him without even thinking about it. Why? I liked his dad. So 
You're the creation of God, the brother, the sister of Jesus, son or daughter of the Most High God. Jesus died on a cross to pay the penalty of your sin. You're going to live with him for all eternity. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes I forget that. Sometimes you forget that. Um, honoring someone is recognizing that they have incredible worth and value. Not so much because of what they do, but because of who they are. And so honoring you is a, important. Honoring each other is important. We esteem each other. Uh, we communicate worth and value. And your worth and value is because you are God's son, God's daughter, the brother, sister of Jesus. And so it's sort of, wow, cool. You're an awesome person. You're the son of God. I think I'll talk with you. Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Give preference to one another in honor. Number four, humility is the, is the magnet and the glue uh, to being a strong relational person. So humility in relationships is uh, fairly obvious. In other words, we don't enjoy being around people that are arrogant, uh, that are prideful, uh, that talk down to us, that treat us uh, rudely. Uh, humility is an attitude of considering you to be more important than myself. It's also back to that same statement, I need you, you need me. I need you, I can't function without you. So I need you and you need me. You can't function without me. And that humility is recognizing that value that we have in each other. Philippians 2, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. Do nothing, 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 zero from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude, this attitude, this character, this way of acting in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus in relationship with each other. Number five, a super valuable person in a church is one who recognizes the power of unity. It is never a cause for disunity. So this is looking at unity from God's perspective. God values it. He blesses it. Churches that are unified, he pours out his blessing on. Churches that are unified, he works in. Churches that are unified, he opens up doors and provides opportunities for them to do ministry outside their own doors. God loves unity. Uh, last week, uh, this last Sunday in the uh, discipleship hour, I talked about the Trinity. And the Trinity, the best illustration for the Trinity is not a, a ice and steam and water. It's the church. Multiple personalities, but one. And, uh, and because the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are one, God values and rewards and blesses unity. Uh, 
John 17, 20, Jesus praying, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, that is the disciples, the 11 that were there, but for those also who believe in me through their word. That's us. Uh, We have the word, the gospel of John. We have the book of Peter. The apostles were influencers, and we are believers now because of them, those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That's the standard of unity in a church is the unity of the Trinity. So we ask the question, how much unity should there be? I pray, Jesus said, that they would be as much one as you, Father, and I are one, uh, that they also may be in us that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, that they may be one just as we are one. Again, the standard of unity is the Trinity. I and them, you and me, and they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. And so a healthy church is a unified church. A healthy church is one uh, that God is using and a healthy church is one that the world, as they observe, will believe uh, that God sent Jesus. They will believe the gospel on the basis of the unity of the body of Christ. And so we say, okay, who's a champion? Somebody that sings like Randy Hacker? Somebody that preaches like Mike Dadera? Uh, right up there at the top is an individual that always is pursuing unity and guarding unity, and recognizes the value of unity in the eyes of God. Number six, a champion for Jesus in JBC never ever gossips about or slanders another part of the body of Christ. For all of the reasons we've just stated, because it damages the unity, it's dishonoring, uh, it disconnects, it damages relationships, not only between the person I would be gossiping about, but between the person I'm gossiping about and the person I'm gossiping to, as I would damage their reputation uh, to someone else. And so it's uh, like way up there. If you want to talk about sins against the body of Christ, sins that Jesus would discipline severely, whenever you damage the bride, his bride, uh, you're, you're... touching the very uh, most important thing to him. And when you bless the bride, when you build the bride, uh, he'll bless you. When you damage her, in fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, you damage his body, uh, the Lord will damage yours, physical body. He says there's a bunch of people that are weak and sick and even dead because they've caused disunity in the body of Christ. Uh, So it's super important to God that we pursue that diligently. And so slandering, gossiping is uh, it just, a, it's a, no, no, you'd never slander somebody that you love. I would never uh, say anything that would be damaging character-wise about Patty to you because I love her and she's important to me or any of my kids. Second Corinthians twelve 20, I'm afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish and may be found by you to be not what you wish, that perhaps there will be strife Jealousy, angry uh, tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, So how would you do that? 
by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Our relationships in the body of Christ is what um, uh, prompts the Spirit of God to empower us, to fill us, to use us, to work in us. And we will grieve the Spirit, short-circuit any power from the Spirit in our life if we... Um, Slander, gossip, are bitter, fail to forgive in the body. Number seven, a person who is greatly used by God in the local church is motivated by their love for him, for God, and the desire to please him in all that they do. So in the morning, I pray my prayer of commitment for the day, and I, I say, today, Lord, I will a whole list of them. I say, I will love my wife the way Christ loves the church. I will read your word. I'll be devoted to prayer. And then I say, Lord, I'll today do my part to build your church at JVC. I'll do my part to make her healthy and beautiful without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. I love you, Lord. I want to please you with my life and everything I do and everything I think. And I know that what I do to make your bride beautiful is one of the most pleasing things I can do. Grant me the wisdom and the strength to be able to do that well today. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Therefore we also have as our ambition, our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him, to be pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed, rewarded for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. The bulk of the rewards at the judgment seat of Christ are going to be what we've done for his bride, how we've made her beautiful, how we've made her healthy, how we've made her effective. Number eight, an influential person is a team player. They work together well with others, not caring if they get glory or someone else does. Went to the Pastor's Prayer Summit last week. It's an annual event, the first week in February. And most of our staff went, and it's always a great time. We're over there for three days. The food is worth it all by itself. But there's about 100 there, and we pray together, we worship together, and then we have breaks and times together. We just hang out at the table where we eat and uh, do things together. And so I was sitting at lunch or dinner, I forget which meal, and there was about six other pastors there that I knew from years past. We got to chatting about church. And uh, one guy says, he got kind of serious. He says, I just thought I'd do a little survey here with you guys. What's your biggest problem as a pastor in your church? What bugs you more than anything else? I was kind of curious what I was going to hear. I said, uh, you want us to tell you first or are you going to tell us first? <laughs> He says, I'll start. He says, turfism drives me crazy. Turfism. So a couple guys didn't know what turfism is. I knew. Turfism is where you own something and you don't want anybody else to touch it. It's yours. It belongs to you. Uh, kids do that. Uh, we have to role play with our kids when they were little, when we'd have 
other kids come over. Now we have Courage at home, and he's by himself, and he has toys, and all the cousins come over, so they role-play with him. Okay, Courage, when one of the cousins takes one of your toys, what are you going to say? And, okay, you can play with my toy. Now, the first word that instinctively comes out of his mouth is, mine! There's a high level of possessiveness to their toys, and so we get like that in our service, our ministry, whatever it might be. Uh, and those who are valuable to a church are the ones who serve, and if someone else contributes, someone else uh, gets involved, someone else touches my toy, someone else gets some credit for something I did, uh, we rejoice in that. Uh, it's, it's kind of a tough thing to do just based on the way we are. Lots of church conflicts happen from turfism. Uh, it's a bad disease. And God knows our heart, what our motive is. And if that drives us, if that's our motive, then we're going to really lose the blessing of God in our, in our life. Um, I have to work on that all the time. At this point in my ministry, uh, with Mike preaching and taking over more and more responsibility in roles. And someone the other day prayed at the Saturday morning prayer time, Lord, I just want to thank you that you've worked and, and blessed Mike to the point that he's way better preacher than Diaz now. <laughs> so I opened my eye. I thought, is he kidding or is he serious? You know? <laughs> and uh, so I have to, what's, what's my motive? What's my motive? Uh, and so you want God to bless and then you, you learn to um, rejoice in other people's successes, even though it may take away from some of yours. Ephesians 4, 16, from whom the whole body, that's the church, the whole body being held, fitted and held together by what every joint, every joint, that's every person, what every joint supplies according to the proper working, proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body. Number nine, a champion for Jesus has a very clear and strong view of the body life principle in a local church. Body life principle is my body functions well when all the parts function. And if one part decides to take a vacation, the whole body suffers. And the people who understand that concept, it's just not... Uh, a pastor and a staff and everybody else just uh, sitting and soaking, people with a high view of the body of Christ understand that every part is critically important to the success of the body. I did a triathlon a number of years ago with my boys. I swam a mile and then I biked uh, 25, 25 miles and I ran a half marathon. Uh, no, it was a 10K. It was a... a, a it was an Olympic distance triathlon. One mile, 25 miles, and a 10K run. And so uh, there were 1,000 entries. And when I finished the swim, there were 988 people ahead of me. I swam it really slow, just barely at the point where I could qualify to continue and finish it. When I got done finishing, there were 1,000 bikes in the parking lot. When you finished, you got on your bike and ran. When I got done, there was only a couple of bikes in the whole parking lot. So the next year, I thought, okay, 
Patty swims really good, and they have a duel. They can, you can do a partner thing. She'll swim, I'll ride the bike, and run. And so she said, okay. So she's a really good swimmer. Well, halfway through the swim, uh, the mile swim, she got, had an asthma attack, and so I'm waiting for it, waiting for it, waiting for it. Pretty soon I see this little skidoo bringing in this little, like a surfboard, and there was somebody laying on it. That's, that's Patty. I thought she was dead. And they came hauling her in, and, and I was disqualified. I couldn't do the rest because she hadn't finished her part of the thing. And she said, I'm so sorry you don't get to finish your thing. I said, that's okay. I didn't really want to do all that riding and running anyway. <laughs> so she didn't do her part, so I couldn't do mine. I didn't really care. But in the church, every individual that is non-functioning, the whole church um, is less healthy. So you can cut off one finger. Not that big a deal. I can do along that finger. Maybe that finger would be a better one. And then I can do another finger and another finger and a thumb and a toe and an ear. I got two of them. Neither one works, so uh, I could probably cut off the end of my nose, probably get along with one eye. Uh, you can get rid of some parts, but there comes a point which uh, your body's not going to function any longer, and uh, it'll be unhealthy long before it dies. So most people in a church don't ever think about the fact that they are important to the body of Christ, whatever they may not be a preacher or a singer. They may not be uh, an extrovert. They may not be the world's greatest teacher. But every single individual is a part of the body. And every part functioning is what makes the body healthy. And the more that don't, the less healthy as it is. Champions in a church have a high view of the body of Christ. They understand how it functions. They understand their worth and value because they are part of the body. Not because they sing well or preach well or teach well. Because they're a part. And so they function whatever part that might be. Romans 12, 3, For though through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function. Not all are preachers, not all are singers. Don't, uh, not everybody uh, helps in the sportsman show. So we who are many are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. 1 Corinthians 12, for the body is not one member but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? Now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body as he desired, and he has given each of us gifts and abilities. If they were all one, there, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Ephesians 4, 16, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. The growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Number 10, a champion is a servant always looking for opportunities to meet a need. <clears throat> uh, 
always looking for an opportunity to do something. Somebody was in my office this last week, and they said, I want a ministry. I said, that's great, awesome. But I don't know what to do. I said, just keep your eyes open. Just pay attention. Uh, you'll see. Uh, just look. And God will open up a door, make an opportunity. If you want, then he wants. And he'll make sure that you see it. Titus 3.14, our people must learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. Romans 15.1, now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification, for even Christ did not please himself. Number 11, the most powerful influencers of GBC are those who invest much time in prayer, both corporate and private. So if you're taking notes there, circle the word most. If I were to um, rank everybody in our church, every person down to say 12, and say, okay, let's see, that's number one, that's number two. There would be a basis for that. There would be something I'd use as a, an evaluation form. If I did that, one of the factors that would be most influential in my choosing would be those most devoted to prayer, both corporate and private. And be, the reason for that is because I believe without a doubt that the most powerful thing we do as a church is pray. It accomplishes more than what we're doing now. It accomplishes more than anything that we do as a church it's the time we spend praying together. It's the most powerful thing a church does. God works when we pray. And some thinks that that's just certain people that do that, but prayer is a command given to all of us. The church began with prayer. It grew by prayer. It's God's will that we pray together. Colossians 1.9, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we, notice the we, uh, that's not an I, that's a we, that's plural. We have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in every detail of your life, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Um, I wonder why that's in the Bible. So if we pray that, that's amazing. You'd be filled with the knowledge of his will. You'd walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, please him in every detail, bearing fruit in every good work. Paul says, we pray this for you, you church at Colossians. And so I pray that for you. And, but the power is agreeing, agreeing prayer, corporate prayer. That's where the body of Christ functions best together. Ephesians 6, 18, with all prayer and petition, Pray. Now, that's an admonition by Paul. If you read the, the, this in the Greek language, you can tell the tense because they have parts, they have little prefixes, suffixes on their, on their verbs that tell you, is this you all or you? So the whole book of Ephesians is plural. 
With all prayer and petition, you all, you, the church at Ephesus, pray at all times in the Spirit with this in view. Be on the alert with all perseverance and all petition for all the saints. Number 12, the most valuable people in a local church family are those who love their church as they love Jesus. I uh, was chatting with James Gleason this last week. He went to the Sportsman Show, and he's the new general director for the Conservative Baptist Association in the Northwest Washington, Alaska, Idaho, and Oregon. And uh, he's been a pastor. We've been friends uh, for a number of years and known each other well. And so Mark Hafner is retiring, and, and uh, James is taking over that position. And so we were talking, and he said... Uh, you know, uh, I'm surprised they didn't consider you for this job when Larry retired. I said, they did. Larry tried for months to talk me into taking the job. When he retired, he said, you're my number one choice to take this position. And I said, uh, no, thank you. And uh, he tried and he tried and he tried. Uh, to get me to take the job. And so James says, why didn't you? Didn't you think you could do it? Oh, I thought I could do it. I would have enjoyed doing it. I like working with pastors. I said, I just love my church too much. It's sort of like divorcing my wife. I just couldn't imagine uh, walking away from that, uh, that ministry. It was, it's been my life. It is my life. And uh, I just was convinced that that's what God had for me. And so um, God blesses those, uses those powerfully who see the church not as a bunch of weirdos. We sometimes can't get past the people and the crankiness and the, and the weirdness. And we don't look at the church as the body of Christ that Jesus died for. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Ephesians 1.22, And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the body of Christ, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so I love the church like I love Jesus. I'm as committed to the church as I am to Jesus. Church is the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. And so those who see the church as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ, and love her, give their life for her, invest their talents and their abilities and their gifts, uh, God will use them powerfully. They'll be champions. It has nothing to do with gifts, talents, ability to sing, ability to teach, it has everything to do with attitude and uh, commitment and love. And so... Um, Paul says, hold men like Epaphroditus in high regard. Men like him. Because they've got certain character traits. They have certain ways of living, certain attitudes. And uh, so that's something that any individual can pursue because it is very, very pleasing to him and it's great rewards at the judgment seat of Christ for those who bless his bride and build her and make her healthy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I do pray that each one of us will be a, a Timothy, as it were, an Epaphroditus, uh, someone that you hold in high regard, 
because we are so influential and such factors in the health of our body, our church, and therefore such factors in people coming to know you and disciples being made. Uh, bless our church, use us. And Lord, we do pray that you would give us 80 baptisms this year, 2020, and each one of us would be a part of at least one of them in some way, even a small way. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.